Hey, this is Chris Sharp. This is another episode of Sharp Takes. I'm back from an extended hiatus. I'm back with my boy, Father Ben. We're going to talk about his favorite movie of all time. One of his favorite movies of all time. Loves to quote it. We love to quote it. It's hilarious. Dumb and Dumber. Hope you enjoy. So Dumb and Dumber came out in 1994. It had a $17 million budget and it made $247 million. So... It did all right. Um, Dumb and Dumber, apparently a juggernaut. So Dumb and Dumber plot, there is no plot. That's the point. It's the dumbest movie ever, but hilarious, and we love it anyway. So Harry, played by Jim Carrey, meets a girl, and as one does, he falls in love and decides to follow her across country with his best friend. And uh, wait, Lloyd, I'm sorry. I already fucked it up. Ben's going to chew me out. Lloyd falls in love. Harry, his best friend, hops in with him. And they go cross countries to Aspen, Colorado. Road trip's fantastic. Get lost along the way. And they don't end up with the girl, but they, they end up finding friendship. And uh, isn't that what life's all about? So, Benny, why are we talking about Dumb and Dumber? So, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. If, if Desert Island, uh, I would be hard-pressed to keep this out of, like, the three movies I bring. timeless and i mean we don't have to stomp on has how's this movie aged like is it woke or broke but it's fucking there's nothing like offense it's just funny and it's like the most there's no like x-rated like you re you rewatch the hangover you're gonna have some issues with some of the joke you don't have any of that in dumb and dumber it is something you could show your eight-year-old kid and you will laugh equally and that is something that is so special and so rare for a comedy to hit every single age group and for everyone to think it's funny that's such a special thing and i think for me i could watch this when i was seven with my dad and we'd both laugh our ass off and that's there's not a lot of movies you can do that with no i i agree i think that's maybe it's charm is because the jokes in here are your klutzy kind of just like almost family jokes just like oh like that's just shit we would do you know and so they're not trying to push a certain narrative like oh we're gonna kind of go for this type of comedy it's just like this is just almost normal day stuff that is of course absurd right it has to be because it's a comedic movie but the the underlying nature of, of each joke or of each bit is just something that could actually happen in real life and that's why i keep quoting it you know like the scene that comes to my mind is it's right away is um when they're eating in the diner and throws the salt over his shoulder it's sea bass, you know, and it's and it's and so he comes over and has like this fight, and it's like you know, it's the the, the, the misconstrued of just tossing something. 
Baker, right? And coming over and, and the, the exchange they have and kick his ass, Seabass. I still say that all the time. Seabass is an all-time. Seabass is an all-time movie villain of like anything. I'm talking. Give me Joker. Give me Seabass. He's just despicable human being, terrible guy. And the other great thing about that scene in particular too is, is you get Harry and Lloyd just have this dynamic where Lloyd just kind of does things and Harry just doesn't understand the stupidity of it and just follows through. And in that one, Harry's kind of Harry is pissed at Lloyd. He chickens out immediately, and he goes. And Lloyd's like, God, you were just a softie. And just kind of chews him out for being like, no, you were the candy ass in that scene. And you get such a cool friend dynamic in there that's universal where it's like, why didn't you fucking fight that guy, man? It's What were you doing? And I, I love that. There's a lot oh, in yeah. that scene. Yeah, and, and then, and then the, the, to culminate that bit or to kind of like, you know, the, the punchline is when they're driving, you know, away. And, you know, they, they, they make Seabass pay for his dinner. Like, they steal the beef jerky. They do all the stuff. And Harry's like, that's genius, Lloyd. Like, how, where'd you learn to give like that or whatever? And then so Lloyd tells like this, this story of like, I was watching this show and this guy did the same thing and and you know and they, they ran away and so Harry's like, and they got away scot free. And then Lloyd's like, no man, the bad guys caught him about a mile up the road and slit their throats. <laughs> so it's just he's like, it was hilarious. Harry's, Harry's expression is good stuff, but um, I think what I want to say before I forget is, uh, you know. I was so obviously it's one of my favorite movies, and so you, you watch a lot of like behind the scenes or interviews with like the the actors. And I was watching Jeff Daniels, and he was doing an interview, kind of like this is kind of recent, so he's looking back over his career, and he was talking about Dumb and Dumber, and he mentioned how um, the higher ups or the executives did not want him in the movie, um, and he was saying how uh, so so the the higher up the executives whoever was producing I don't know who produced it uh, wanted a basically an A-list comedic actor to act alongside Jim Carrey. And that would have just never worked because it would have kind of been competing and it would have just probably not have had the same lasting impact. And it was actually Jim Carrey who fought for Jeff Daniels. Like, no, like, this is the guy we need. Like, this this movie will, you know, go off, you will, will blow up with Jeff Daniels in it. And I think it works is because Jeff Daniels is a serious, more dramatic actor and he comes into this role and it's just a total, sort of like the... Um, the, the Robin to Jim Carrey's Batman and, and they play off each other and he doesn't try to like overpower Jim Carrey's comedic genius because Jim Carrey does his own thing out there and he like makes this movie he's kind of almost the Michael Scott of, of Dumb and Dumber in my view because he's the lead actor and Jeff Daniels to his credit just blows it away and does this amazing job of putting in little jabs here and there and, and adding a layer like this a different sort of um, complexity to the relationship, but it's still funny in his own right, but doesn't try to overpower Jim in any way. And I think that's why Jeff Daniels just is amazing this movie and why it works so well. So the Fairley brothers directed this movie. This is their first movie they ever directed, which is insane. And immediately following this, their next movie's Kingpin, which I don't know if you've seen, but hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. Bowling, Woody Harrelson... Uh, Bill Murray, all-time classic. And then immediately after that, they do their Something About Mary. Pretty good first three comedies to throw on your resume. And I don't exactly enjoy all the stuff they did later, and they have a lot of misses after that. But And especially, we'll have to talk about Dumb and Dumber 2 at some point. I don't want to do it yet. But they have, they have some misses in their career. But for first three movies, and to have Dumb and Dumber be your first directorial movie... 
is insane. And Jimmy Jim Carrey going to bat for Jeff Daniels, I totally agree with, is really cool. And it also makes so much sense because it's the same thing with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley's relationship in um, Step Brothers and Talladega Nights where John C. Riley is this extremely serious character actor through the 90s and 2000s. He's in movies like Gangs of New York and is just a dramatic actor that you'll find in good, critically acclaimed movies. And then all of a sudden he can go in a comedy and just absolutely murder it even though he's not a comedian because I think good enough actors just know how to play. You can play off someone and play off their energy without trying to upstage them. I think John C. Riley was very aware that Will Ferrell was the star. And I think uh, Jeff Daniels was very much aware that Jim Carrey was the biggest comedian at the time and to back off and let him cook. Is this your favorite Jim Carrey movie ever? The Mask is also the same year. I was going to talk about Jim Carrey's year this year. Ace really? Vi- I didn't know that. He made The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura all came out in 1994. I mean, like, the Ace Venturas are really good. And so, you know, that, that, that early to mid-90s was obviously his prime. Uh, so, but I would probably say Dumb and Dumber takes the cake with maybe Ace Ventura coming in a close second. You know, do you like dramatic? This is, I think The Truman Show is, for me, my favorite role of his. Um, I think that's like the best acting he's ever done. But I don't know how dramatic Jim Carrey you like. I I love the Truman Show. I it's just well, I, I should say I loved him acting in it. Uh, I thought he did an amazing job. I'm just not a big fan of like I guess the plot or the arc of the Truman Show. But you know it's it's a fine movie. But I just enjoy I, it. I think it's better. I don't want to I don't want to uh, I don't want to litigate the Truman Show. But and then the only other okay. Jim Carrey. This is my last Jim Carrey dramatic point. I really like him in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, really weird, dark movie. I haven't seen it. It's really great. It's the, the whole concept for anyone who hasn't seen it, I guess, is Jim Carrey and his girlfriend break up, and in this future world, you can erase memories of people from your mind. They end up meeting again by chance, don't remember each other, end up falling in love again, but finding out that they had had this terrible breakup and erased it from their memory, and what do you do? Really cool, really dark um, he's fantastic. I highly recommend it. But so I like dramatic. Uh, 2004. I'm a big, I'm a big dramatic Jim Carrey guy. I think he can do it all. But Dumb and Dumber, I think, is the funniest thing he's ever done. Lloyd is, Lloyd hits everything perfect, and that's. I want to get into favorite scenes because there's gonna be a shit ton of them. So give me, yeah. give me like your top three scenes. I think top three is fair. Okay. Uh, let's see. So top three, I think. Uh, and no particular order because I think they're all equally indelible and amazing. But when they are sort of hitting rock bottom and they lose their jobs and they come back to their apartment and they find that their parent is dead because, like, you know, the, um, I guess the bad guys in the film, the people who are after them, came into their house and they kind of messed with them and, and killed their parent. And so uh, Jim Carrey goes, uh, we got no jobs. Alright, his heads are falling off. That is, oh my gosh, just absolutely genius. And I love that scene. That's up there. I also love the scene when they first get to uh, the Rockies to, to Aspen. And they're at the, the camps, there's like some public campsite, and they're having a fire. And uh, Harry is like shivering because he's frigid cold and he has no gloves on or hat. And he's, you know, just about to get, you know, froze. And, um, Harry looks at over at him and goes, oh, geez, you look pretty cold here. 
take my extra pair of gloves. And so he has my two gloves on, and he gives a pair to Harry. And Harry, like, like shivering, like, through his shattering teeth, goes, you had two pairs of gloves in your time? And he goes, yeah, we're in the Rockies. We're in the Rockies, Harry. I'm going to kill you, Lloyd. Your hands are freezing. I'm going to kill you, Lloyd. I'm going to kill you. And that's good. And then, um, oh, well, I think it's also funny. Shoot, man, I'm trying to narrow it down. I'll, I'll probably talk some more, but... Uh, the funny scene is is just when they're almost. The, I think it's the um, one of the opening scenes, one of the first scenes, and it's uh, so the the lead actress um, Mary. I can't remember her name. It's Mary, right? I think yeah, it's Mary. Mary Swan. Mary Swan. Mary Samsonite. I was <laughs> way off. Dumb. So, I'll give you I'll give you three scenes, and there are three different scenes that you didn't mention. So this is good. So I love when Lloyd runs to the store, and he's supposed to buy like necessities, and he has all this useless shit. He's carrying like hustlers. He's got a giant cowboy hat on, and he's trying to buy a porno mag out of the classic like old magazine things where you like put the money in and open. It. And when he does it, his wallet falls in the porno thing, and he gives me more money. And he's like, hey, old lady, can you watch all my stuff while I run there? And she's like, yeah, I will. And he goes, you know what? Is it? You know what? It is true. Old people can still contribute to society. And then she steals all his stuff. And the cutaway is to him coming back in the apartment. He's like, I got robbed by a little old lady. And I didn't even see it coming. And that entire speech he gives to Harry about them being losers and how he doesn't want to be a loser and... Uh, you know, Harry agreeing to take the road trip. I love that five minutes is gold. So then you, they second favorite is they pick up the hitman. They don't really develop why the villains are the villains, but, um, the Italian hit guy from the Sopranos, um, is there and he's on the side of the street and they take him to the, they have him in the car with them and they're doing the most annoying noise. You want to hear the most annoying noise in the whole world? and they sing mock yeah everything they're doing to piss off the driver is amazing or to piss off the hitman and then it culminates with them at the restaurant base poisoning him giving him the rat poison after they put all those chilies in him and they're trying to give cpr and jim carrey's grabbing his legs and pulling back and forth and that is that is fucking amazing and then for my third I got to go in the culmination of the entire movie. Harry gets shot after Lloyd's like, shoot him. Harry gets shot, gets up, pops off like eight rounds, doesn't hit the bad guy. And Lloyd goes, Harry, you're alive. And you're a horrible shot. That's, that's amazing. That's the perfect way to, and everything they do at the end of that movie is absolutely perfect with the swimsuit ladies who are like, we need boys to like oil us up. And they go, oh, the town's back that way. And the, it's perfect. The ending's perfect. Oh, my gosh. It, it adds that. The town is, my friend's a little slow. The town is back that way. 
one of the best one of the best comedy movie endings of all time because it fits so perfectly with the movie. Yeah, and it's like the thing is like you rewatch it again every time you watch it, you come away with a new favorite line. Uh, like for, for the longest time, it's uh, when I rewatched it and preparing for this, it was the line of. So it's just after he met Mary, he comes back to the airport, or comes back to the apartment, sorry, and is talking with Harry. He like cracks open a beer. He's like, I drove her to the airport, sparks flew, emotions ran high. She actually talked to me, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> stupid shit like that. And, and, just, and Harry, so and Harry, when he says that, when he's like, she actually talks to me, he goes, he goes, no way. And he's like, yeah, tractor beam. And he does like. <laughs> He sells it to a blind kid. Him selling that to the blind kid is amazing and is pretty bird, pretty bird. And the cutaway of that is perfect. And it's on the local news. And um, the fact that their career aspiration is to open a worm farm is so perfect. And I think people think it's easy to play stupid, but it's, it's not. And to sell it to believable, you believe that Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels are those characters. And to sell that level of stupidity is something that takes talent. Because in the wrong hands, it could have gone really wrong. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, like, that was my first time seeing Jeff Daniels. So I thought that was, like, who he was as an actor. I thought that's the roles he did. I had no idea until later on that he did stuff like Newsroom. Or, you know, like, he was he acted on Broadway for Mockingbird as Atticus Finch. You know, like, I didn't know that until later on. So I was just amazed that I thought he was this dumb comedic actor. And just... Again, a testament to his ability to morph into a role and play alongside a comedic genius like Jim Carrey. Oh, Jeff Daniels is such a good, such a good actor. I knew him. The first thing I ever saw Jeff Daniels in is Arachnophobia, and it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> and so my parents made me watch that when I was a kid, and the whole concept is spiders come to this local town from South America and murder everyone, and Jeff Daniels plays a doctor. So that's what I knew him from. I saw I, I saw arachnophobia before that, and it was crazy. He really made his you know early eighties. He's in movies like Terms of Endearment, which are kind of dramatic, and he's a really good dramatic actor. And I think for people at the time when, I'm sure the marketing in this movie was weird because you had to tell people Jeff Daniels, who you've known for ten years, is this extremely dramatic thespian, is now going to be in a Jim Carrey slapstick comedy. Enjoy, guys. And for him to murder when he's pooping at Mary's house and he's like the face he makes and everything he's doing is so hysterical and physical comedy to sell that scene well is amazing. Oh, no, I'm shaving. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and there's no toilet paper and the toilet's clogged and um I I absolutely love we could talk all day I think about favorite scenes. I want I there's a random question I kind of want to ask you cuz I was thinking about during the movie. If you could recast two people to play this role that aren't Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, and it doesn't have to be narrowed down to who was popular in the mid '90s, um, you can use all of all of com- you know present actors. I don't care. Give me give me two people you think could pull it off. Oh, all right, put me on the spot. Um, do, you, do you have two people in mind? Can I think about it? Do you have two people in mind? So the immediate thought in my head for 
Lloyd was, I thought Jim, or not Jim Carrey, I thought Robert Downey Jr. could maybe do something because he's really funny, but also so serious that I think he could play up the stupidity really well. And then to pair with him, I have no idea. It's really hard. I struggled with it. I, all I could think of was I Robert Downey Jr. You know, and when you, when you mentioned Robert Downey Jr., I thought of Tropic Thunder. And you think like Ben Stiller, like he and Ben Stiller could pull this off as together? I think Ben Stiller definitely has... Ben Stiller has played stupid people roles really well in his career. Um, White Goodman in Dodgeball is a total moron. Um, and then him also in Zoolander. The whole concept of Zoolander right. is being a dumb male model. And he killed it. So I could definitely get between... And I think you'd need Ben Stiller to be the lead and have Robert Downey Jr. playing off him if that was the case. I think you could also... I think like like I think Michael Sarah would work kind of well here too, actually, to be honest. I think he could play that well. I'm thinking of his roles in... Sort of almost like, like a year one, when he was like, like super dumb, but just like... Innocent. With mixed, like, his, his minor roles in... Um, oh, what was that? The movie The End of Time with like Seth Rogen, James Franco. Oh, this is The End. Oh yeah, this is the end. Like he has like super small role in that, but it's like he still plays like the dumb kind of just weird dude. I think I think he might be able to do it well. I think I also think if we're gonna go like way back, Bill Murray and mm-hmm. you know, give me like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. Um, I think Bill Murray, you know, in that Caddyshack Ghostbusters run, could carry any movie, and I think he could sell any character. And I I think him and Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd would be fun. John Belushi as well. Throw J- yeah. Bill Murray, John Belushi. We never got to see them in a movie together. So I think that would be like a dream to see those guys playing that. But I just thought it was an interesting question because it's so hard to imagine. It's such an iconic movie and it made $247 million on a $17 million budget. That is insane. And it's not... Ace Ventura made a ton of money. And um, The Mask was a juggernaut too. Jim Carrey's 1994 is insane. To have three... 200 plus million dollar movies out at the same time is unheard of and probably will never be done again. No, and I think you know, there, there's a famous interview with Jim Carrey on Oprah Winfrey's show where he was like, at one point in my life, I was, you know, uh, broke and had nothing going for me. And so he wrote a check to himself for $10 million. And he said, in three years, I'm going to cash this. And then Dumb and Dumber came out, Mask came out, Ace Ventura came out, and he was. A-list celebrity, the highest paid actor, and, and you know, it's like cash that $10 million check, but that's just kind of a cool story of, of this kid. Five years, Jim Carrey went from, maybe not even five years, in, in two years, three years, he went from nothing to top of the list. It's cool. It is really cool. It's crazy because he didn't make it, he tried out for SNL and didn't get it, which is insane that someone of his character, SNL is built for Jim Carrey. I don't know what the fuck the casting director was thinking on that day, but I hope they lost their job. And then he goes on In Living Color, which was SNL kind of on local network TV. Jamie Foxx got to start there. And it's just crazy to me that people immediately didn't see this guy and see a star. Because he's, I think he reminds me so much of Robin Williams in a way. Kind of if you've ever seen Jim Carrey's old stand-up from when he was doing in the late 80s, early 90s. He's all over the place. And he's sweating and he's doing impersonations. And it's a lot, Robin Williams would get up there and just... It was just, he was gone. He was everywhere. And Jim Carrey reminds me a lot of Robin Williams. And unfortunately, too, with kind of the depressed drug side as well, which I think a lot of comedians deal with, which is sad. But Jim Carrey, I think he seems like he's been good lately, which is exciting. I want the best for him, but 
he went through a period there where it was a little he had a really long beard and seemed he was off his rocker a little bit yeah yeah he definitely went through a stretch there where i was are we, are we all there upstairs like i was concerned about him but he seems to be somewhat back on on some sort of road some sort of path and of, of course i i would love to see like one last smash hit from jim carrey you know i think the world needs that i think he deserves that one last you know big splash to end his career to sail off into the sunset with i'm, I'm looking forward to that hoping it happens uh, yeah because he was just in sonic the hedgehog which i don't think either of us are thinking jim carrey's salute is sonic the hedgehog and it's an interesting choice um and he also directs that series on Showtime. He's really into. He's like executive producing, like the showrunner for it. I can't think of it, but it's gotten good reviews. And I, I you know, I hope he does get one crazy good role. So I'm gonna put. I got a gun to your head. You have to choose a best character, and it's not Harry or Lloyd. So you can't choose those. Your favorite character outside the two obviouses, and then your least favorite. I think the least favorite is pretty easy, but. Uh, give me your best and least. Uh, my least favorite is um, Mary Swanson, or just the you know the the opposite, you know the the lead female actress. I don't know she's she's fine. She does a good job acting. It's just I don't know. There's just nothing to her. She's just like the, the pretty dumb, you know, dame in distress. You know, dame in distress. Sorry, that's that's kind of like her role. She doesn't even know her best family friend kidnapped her husband. She seems really unconcerned about her husband being killed. That was my least favorite character. She's just living it up. It's like your husband's kidnapped, yeah, yeah, maybe it's murdered. Down with the rich. It's their movie. It's their movie. Yeah, they do the cutaway where it's the bad head bad guy who they never. That's so. My least favorite yeah. character is the head bad guy, um, essentially because it seems he's a family friend person that is also rich. So why does he need this ransom money from them? And how would he even set that up without them? No, it seems really weird and flimsy. And I don't his little shtick he's doing where. He's just, give me the money, and they, he opens up the briefcase, and they have IOUs. He's just an asshole, and I don't like him, but I will agree our Italian hitman, him having ulcers and getting stressed, and she's like, oh, you're ulcer? And then when he's in the phone booth, and the guy's, oh, man, oh, man, I am so mad. He punches through and hits the guy. He's he's really good. Like oh, the yeah. Booth scene. We haven't mentioned when when Harry and Lloyd are in the hot tub and they talk about the John Doe. Okay, <laughs> I need John to. <laughs> that's the irony of. So I was with um, shout out Paul Malosh and Lily Noble, friends of the program, former formerly been on here. I was just with them earlier today, and I was telling them I'm going to do Dumb and Dumber, and I was talking about. I quoted the scene where Harry's talking about 
getting this John Deere letter. He says John Deere letter from her, which he's trying to say John Doe. He says John Deere, which is hilarious. He's like, what? Some little filly broke your heart, which is hilarious. And then he goes in about, you know, it's obvious that Lloyd hooked up with this girl and that's why she broke up with Harry, but Harry doesn't get it. And he's, yeah, she called me up and, you know, she said some bunch of stuff about how I wasn't talking. I wasn't listening to her. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. I think that is one of the funniest, like, throwaway lines in any movie ever. Oh, it absolutely is. It's so killer. (laughs) I fucking love Jeff Daniels, and I almost, I think I almost like Harry's character a little more, and what he's bringing, and when he's on, when he's with Mary for the day, and he's got a little bit of charm, and he can kind of maneuver his way through the world a little bit, and he sticks his tongue to the pole and he's making her laugh and he throws this snowball at her super hard. And I, I like Jeff Daniels a lot. I, I, I think I would tend to agree with you on this. And I think the scene that puts him over the edge for me of just like Hall of Fame is when they're getting pulled over by the cop and the cop on the motorcycle pulls up to the side of their car and goes, pull over, pull over. And uh, Harry goes, no, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. Killer boots, man. <laughs> Killer boots, man. Like, and I think the reason... And when he drinks the like, piss. When he drinks the piss and... Get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, just like, that's beautiful. But, um... And I think the reason we're able to love Harry so much is because Jim Carrey sort of takes on that, that lead role of just being able to carry it. And, and Jim Carrey can... Or, sorry, and Harry can sort of pick and choose like moments to, to, to add in comedic relief. And I, again, I'm not taking anything away from Jim Carrey when I say I like Harry more. It's, it's a testament to Jim Carrey that Jeff Daniels is able to succeed as much as he did in this role. And we haven't even talked about, this has just turned into all favorite scenes in this movie, but when they're getting the makeovers done before, hey, Cinderella, we got to get you ready for this ball. And they do the classic, like, pretty woman starts playing and... He tries on all these suits and he chooses the neon orange one. And I, I absolutely love that. Okay, now I'm going to do the our, our favorite recurring segment. Guess what the Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb scores were for this movie. Okay, so Rotten Tomatoes, are we doing critics or audience? Give me critics. Critics, I'm going to say 64. Oh, shit, okay. It was 67 on Rotten Tomatoes, 67%. And on IMDb, it was 7.3, which is usually the case. IMDb usually has a little better taste. And the audience score was 84%. The critic score was 67%. Um, So a top critic from Chicago, who looks like she's never laughed at all in her life based on the picture of her, says, This is a long way from social comedy of Jerry Lewis. The characters here ultimately turned into punching bags or punchline dispensers. So I don't. apparently a huge Jerry Lee Lewis fan. She... She apparently missed some years of comedy in between. Um, really just... I I think critics struggle with comedy. Especially not in... There's a couple branches of comedy it's hard to like put in a box. But there's satire that's actually really intelligent satire. And then there's really just stupidity that's funny. And these guys are doing stupid, stupid stuff. There's no comment on society. There's no political commentary. There's nothing intelligent. It's just we're gonna make you laugh. And I think critics really struggle when there isn't a purpose in their mind of, well, what's the what's the point of that thing? You're why is this 
why is he pooping like that and screaming? Like, what's the point? What's serving the story? And they overanalyze it and just go enjoy, just to sit down and enjoy the movie, you know? No, yeah, I, I think I think you, you hit the nail on the head here. And critics, you know, whatever, in, 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 in their role, I think they are naturally, they have to create some sort of conflict in order to create a reason for them to write, you know, a piece. And, and, and for most movies, like, that's needed and it's good, right? There needs to be some sort of conflict between good and evil or between, like, a plan and the... the um, Maybe maybe the recourse to that plan, but in a movie like this, where it's just hey, we're just gonna sit down and make you laugh for an hour and a half. Like there doesn't really need to be a critical response to that. Just say hey, this movie was funny and stupid. I'm not gonna write anything more about it. <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's just they don't know they don't know what to do, and they think they're just they take themselves. Movie critics take themselves very very seriously, which is. I mean, it comes with the territory, I guess, of being a movie critic. But they fucking take themselves really seriously. And just, we've talked about basically every scene in this movie. If you watch this movie, you can't tell. There's no scene that isn't funny. There's no scene that's just there as to move the plot forward. Even when they're driving into Aspen, when they're frozen on their fucking little moped and they're frozen to each other, it's just a plot device to move the story forward of, hey, we're arriving. But they find ways to get comedy in there. And yeah. that's that's hard to do. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is I, this is another one of those movies where you know, I, I it's, it's there, there's no secret. It's maybe get more geared towards the male comedic relief. You know, I don't think my mom or <laughs> my my you know girlfriends or you know female, my sister my sister isn't telling me let's watch Dumb and Dumber. Right, and, but but the thing is, is it, I, I don't I think it's 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 a wide array of range of comedy that anyone can enjoy but for some reason again it's just maybe men feel more connected to it i don't know what the reason is but in every single scene and again i'm inundated with scenes right now of just more comedic relief i'm not gonna you know spew more because we've heard of everything and and whatnot but um you're absolutely right when you say like there's no scene where it's like, okay we're just gonna introduce like this subplot or we're gonna try to develop this character it's just hey we want to make you laugh yeah and i and two, I'll just pivot this into woke or broke uh, for this movie. But I think part of the reason, you know, I'm I'm speaking not out of any experience of where I've heard a bunch of women tell me they don't like Dumb and Dumber. But I don't think they're. I totally agree with you that this is definitely a more male-driven comedy. And I think there was such a fatigue in just the zeitgeist and the culture of women were so tired of every big comedy had to be male-driven, white male driven comedy is basically all that was in the mainstream for the longest time. And that's why a movie like bridesmaids when we were in high school comes out and it was a female driven R rated comedy and that explodes. And that was such a big deal. And we were in high school. I mean, this isn't 1955. This is in the 2010s. It was a big deal for that. And so I think part and women, Every woman I know or I've been around loves Bridesmaids. They think it's hilarious. Even And I love Bridesmaids because it is really vulgar. It is really funny. But I think for some women, it was nice to see. See, we can make those jokes too. That isn't just you. Mary Swanson, women in these comedies, for the most part, are plot devices. They're just there to be seen, not heard from. And Jim Carrey is using her as almost... It's just something to play off of. She's not a character. She's a prop. And so I think 
part of what we're talking about and part, part of what you brought up is just women tired of men are the only people that can make these jokes. Men are the only ones that can make like fart jokes and men are the only ones that can be vulgar. And I think bridesmaids and some of these new comedic actresses that have been coming up or, you know, Kristen Wiig and people like that have really Tina Fey, Amy Poehler have really done a great job of kicking the door down for women in comedy to do whatever the hell they want now, which I think is good. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I, I, Bridesmaids is also one of my top favorite movies. Like, it's absolutely hilarious, and I love it. And I think, I, and you know, it's, again, maybe just the um, unfortunate times we live in. Like, it took so long for a female-led character or movie in order to succeed in that uh, genre of comedy. But hopefully, like, and I think it did, you know, Bridesmaids opened up a door, and there was, you know, Amy Poehler comes out with Parks and Rec in 20... 10-ish, I think, maybe 20, uh, maybe a little earlier 2010, 2011, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, and then, but then you have these other films, uh, you know, like SNL is becoming a lot more uh, female-led, a lot more female anchors, stars on there who are hilarious, so I think it's awesome and, and funny, but yeah, like, this movie, sure, maybe more male-driven. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you don't have Bridesmaids, you know, um, Trainwreck with Amy Schumer that comes out a couple years later, that's gigantic as well, and it's this almost role reversal of what common stories are where she's playing more of what the stereotypical guy character would be and Bill Hader is kind of the opposite and I don't think you get that movie if you don't get Bridesmaids and yeah that generation of SNL that we were we were really blessed with some great female character actresses on SNL and Tina Fey like Mean Girls I think you could make an argument that a movie like that was so important and uh, I don't know I think it was a really good time mid-2000s was just such a great time for female comedy that they almost became the Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were bigger than almost any male comedians in the world. And that really hadn't happened before. And, you know, rom-coms were kind of where you got boxed into. And for Amy Poehler to be in Parks and Rec and be able to drive a show where she's an aspiring politician and is really complex. And um, I think that's really badass. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I got maybe before sidetracks we could talk about you know these stuff all day long i think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up dumb and dumber or and dumb and dumber too like so let's get dumb and dumb and dumber when harry met lloyd right that is that's the sequel and then dumb and dumber two right those are our two just so what's worse when harry met lloyd or dumb and dumber two i think uh shout out to our rico guys there's a few rico guys yeah, um, that I'm think. Name names because we don't want to give credence to people who have such horrible views. Cough, cough, Jaden Holzer. There, there are some of our friends who grew up on the west side of Sioux Falls um, who somehow view Dumb and Dumber-er as funnier than Dumb and Dumber. And I think that is the most ludicrous opinion I have ever heard in my life. Dumb and Dumber-er, which came out, which was, I guess, the, the sequel to Dumb and Dumber is truly the most horrible movie I have ever seen. Came I, out in 2003. I don't think I laughed once. Yeah, it's just 10% Rotten Tomatoes. Came out in 2003. For me, Dumb and Dumber when Harry met Lloyd is... It's terrible and I'm mad they did it. But it doesn't hurt as much because Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels weren't associated with it. And I expect studios to fuck stuff up with sequels that I like. And when they recast people, it makes it easier because I'm not watching 
when they did Dumb and Dumber 2, and it's just, you know, they're looking for Harry's daughter, and they haven't talked together in a while, and it turns out to be a gag, and uh, I just, it was kind of, it was sad. It was recycled. It wasn't nearly as funny. They're way older. It's just, leave the, in the words of the Lion King, leave the past and the behind. Keep it, keep it in the past. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, in, so now in Dumb and Dumber 2 with Jim Carrey and, and Jeff Daniels, they definitely took a trip down memory lane. They tried to play on that nostalgic factor. And I'll admit, there were a few good jokes in the, in the movie, but certainly, again, it was just, yeah, it was sad. I'm like, you know what? This is, it's almost like watching, uh, you know, uh, a, a loved one, like, die. It's just, you know what? You had, you had such a good... A, a, such good life, you know, and then to see like the end of it of just like of, of sadness or whatever it is of just you know not not being able to to bring as much as did in, in, in the younger days. It's it's just a, a a depressing sort of feeling, and and I left feeling you know what I I wish I would have watched that, but like it doesn't take anything away from my experience of Dumb and Dumber. I'm always gonna remember that as the pinnacle of, of comedy, and this was just an unfortunate epilogue to it. I hate that studios are such hoes about money and sequels, and I blame the American consumer as well, because people are always, for years, people were like, let's see them reprise their roles. People are begging for it, they want it, and it's the studio knows they're going to make money. That movie, Dumb and Dumber 2, is terrible, but it still made like $200 million on almost a $50 million budget, you know? It's hard to tell these companies, hey, don't make money. And Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey, I'm sure their payload was ridiculous, so... It's easy for it's easy for me to lecture them about artistic integrity when I'm not having twenty million dollars set in front of me and say make this movie. But it's your job to just don't, you know, just um Keanu Reeves is reprising Bill and Ted's excellent adventure from the nineties, which are fun little cult movies that I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're really stupid comedy from the early nineties and they're coming out with a new one and it's why. And I've heard they're talking about doing a new Matrix, like a Matrix Four. And we're just, we're so lazy with new ideas. I think what's shown is really original, cool ideas will actually succeed. A movie like Parasite, original screenplay. Tarantino, always, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, original scripts. People will go see original concepts, just make it good. Just get good art out there and it'll be fine. But that's hard and they don't want to do that. No, yeah, and maybe the last thing I'll say on this is I honestly don't hold anything against Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels for reprising their roles as Harry and Lloyd in Dumb and Dumber 2. Like, I understand. They probably have that $50 million budget. They probably got at least half of that in straight up, you know, salary to begin with. And so, like, it's hard to turn that, turn down that money. But in my honest opinion, they would have went from, like, hero to legendary status if they would have just said, hey, we're not going to do this movie because we love and what we did in Dumb and Dumber, and we don't want to take anything away from that, and that is the, the encapsulation of these characters, and that is our gift to you, the consumer, the viewer, and so we're not going to this movie again. In my opinion, that would have just put them up there, automatic, just legendary, legends never die, and so again, don't pull anything against them, but just wish they would have chosen a different route. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you know, if it, if it would have killed, you know, we would have been saying this is the greatest decision of all time, but it didn't kill, so I can say this. I think my last thought, and we can dive into start diving into final thoughts too, is is you know um, the lead actor from The Princess Bride who played Wesley 
Cariels or however the fuck you pronounce his name, but he said they were tweeting about a Princess Bride reboot, and he quote tweeted and said, you know, he does a Wesley line and he goes, "There are very few perfect movies in the world. It'd be a shame if you ruin this one." And he tweeted that, and I thought that was so beautiful and so great, and I really. I just wish more people thought like that. And now let's dive into final thoughts. Uh, I think what I, I'm still kind of thinking about is just... I think if you watch this movie, you can see that Jim Carrey is capable of the Truman Show. He's capable of Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. He's capable of... He plays that Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon and um, won a Golden Globe. He's won two Golden Globes in his life. I mean, he's a good actor. And I think you can tell from this movie that he is. back and haunt your ass i uh i totally agree i think it's a movie that i'll show my son some son or daughter someday hopefully my daughter would think it's funny but we already talked about that kind of but my if i had a son for sure this is a movie i'd be like there's some comedies you can show your young son and not worry about it and this is one of those i'd be like hey this is what's hilarious son like this is what comedy is and can be and I think my son would love it, and I hope my son... I think my grandchildren someday and their grandchildren will look at this, and it'll be this thing that lasts forever. Because I think young kids to this day still enjoy this movie, and I think it's a movie that has legs. And there's some movie, comedies that... Kingpin, you don't know what that is, and it was big at the time, and it doesn't survive unless you really look for it. But a movie like Dumb and Dumber is so known that I think it'll survive forever. I'm so glad we got to talk about this movie together, Benny. Benny and I have comment, like he said, this is high school was a lot of quoting movies. Dumb and Dumber was definitely the one Ben could quote and call you on your shit the most in high school. So it was cool to basically read the entire script, <laughs> go go back and forth with each other quoting. Um, it was a blast, Ben. And uh, anything else you want to say to the fans? Uh, please watch this movie and, and, and keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Benny.